Hey everyone, your host Caleb Masters here. I'm very excited to present a very special bonus episode of the Cinematic Schematic that is actually just pulled from the podcast feed of my other show, The Cast Beyond the Wall, which is a House of the Dragon podcast. As sort of a bonus episode for our House of the Dragon fans, we recently did a review of parts one and parts two of Amazon's Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power series with our very own Daniel Bokemper, as well as the other cast Beyond the Wall co-host Daniel Stolp. I figured there may be some Lord of the Rings fans who are interested in hearing what me and Daniel Bokemper thought about it. So instead of doing the same show twice, essentially I wanted to just reshare what we talked about in that discussion. If you do enjoy that conversation that I have with Daniel Bokemper and Daniel Stoll, and you are either a House of the Dragon or a Rings of Power fan, please make sure to subscribe to that show. That is the cast Beyond the Wall on your preferred podcast app and leaving us a rating or review to help get discovered by more listeners just like you. Enjoy this trip back to Middle Earth. The world is changed. I feel it in the water. I feel it in the earth. I smell it in the air. Much that once was is lost, for none now live who remember it. Welcome back, my lords and ladies, to the cast beyond the wall. We are normally your guides to all things Westerosi, but today... We are flying our little wings of the eagles over to Middle Earth to provide you a review, an analysis, and perhaps even a fan v. fan debate covering the first two episodes of Amazon's Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power. In today's discussion, we're going to provide our initial reviews of The Rings of Power Episode 1, A Shadow of the Past, and Episode 2, Adrift, before providing a spoiler-filled discussion. So again, it's going to be in two parts, more spoiler-free and more spoiler-filled. And then we're going to close out the show by speculating about what we think might happen next. I'm your host, Caleb Masters, and I only wish that I had a name as cool and memorable as Sir Calabrimbar. So joining me today are, once again, reuniting us from the latest uh, discussion of House of the Dragon, the Daniels. As always, my ever-reliable, always-returning, always-steadfast co-host, Daniel Stoll. Daniel, welcome back to the show, my friend. What you got, brother? Hi, I'm Daniel Stoll, and I'm just going to say, I really wish that my... The world that I lived in had as much color as this world uh, of Middle Earth. I mean, I just feel like there's color popping everywhere. And man, it's so pretty. I It would be really nice to, to live in that world. Just for that part of it. Daniel, you know, if, if you want to turn up the saturation in your world, like in terms of the colors, there are... There are drugs out there that can help with that. I'm not saying you should do this by any means. I'm just saying if that's what you seek, there are means to do that. Oh, there's also eye surgery. They could just help your eyes. I don't know. I do work in a high school. It's probably not the best thing I could do um, given where, where I work. So I'll have, to, I'll have to be a little careful with that. You need to call your superintendent and be like, where's the saturation in the colors? <laughs> I, I, I need to – we need to – feel the walls of the high school. How can I teach these kids? <laughs> these, <laughs> it's not the conditions of a learning environment. 
Oh man. Uh, well, Daniel Stoll, I'm so glad that we can we can actually you and I can actually have a proper conversation on Lord of the Rings on a podcast. Yeah. I was just talking before we hit record with Daniel Bo Kemper here. I don't think I've ever actually discussed Lord of the Rings on a podcast. I have written a lot about the Hobbit trilogy. Mm-hmm. And I think I've mentioned Lord of the Rings in several podcasts, but never like focused on the core topic. And of course, you being one of my oldest friends from college, in which we did watch the extended cuts mm-hmm. together, it's 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 a it's we, a real treat. So I'm looking we, forward to coming. We actually, I mean, it's not, I mean, it, it's not specifically about Lord of the Rings, but actually, we when we met, I believe our fresh freshman year, maybe it was our sophomore year, we actually took a Tolkien class together. I don't know if you recall yeah. that, but we uh, we like created our whole world and everything, and that's a whole can of worms right there. But so we have definitely uh, read you know read some talk other works besides Lord of the Rings together and had a lot of discussions about it. But no, I don't think we've ever actually been able to record it. Rejoining us is the other part of the Daniels, Daniel Bo Kemper. He he joins us from the Westerosi bloodline of Bo Kemper. Mm-hmm. Daniel Bo Kemper, welcome <laughs> to the show. Actually, I like to think of myself as the tallest dwarf. Of uh, Middle Earth too. You do have a beard for it. Not quite as long. That's a thing. I I sacrificed my height, and they had to give me a shorter beard. I said, "You can't choose both. You got to the shorter you are, the more beard." Uh, ladies and gentlemen, you can track all of our posts here on the Cast Beyond the Wall on our social media channels, including Twitter at Cast underscore Beyond underscore GOT, and on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Cast Beyond the Wall. And uh, again, if maybe you're not a Game of Thrones fan. I need you to be honest. I need you to listen to the show and, and and ask yourself, did I have fun listening to this Lord of the Rings discussion? And if I did, how can I help? Well, you can help by heading over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify and leaving us a rating and review to get discovered by more listeners like you. Also, tell your friends about us, or at least this episode, because, you know, we're doing a Rings of Power episode, perhaps because if enough of you listen to it, we could have more of them. Just want to posit that out there that if you enjoy this conversation, not only rate and review, tell your friends about us. And if we see the numbers go up, 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 we might do more of these. I don't know. Just a thought. Just that would be a really great indicator for us about whether this is going to be worth our time and also worth your time as a listener. Uh, and lastly, uh, just to note here about spoilers, because the Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power is based on the appendices from the Lord of the Rings uh, Saga. A misconception is that it's partially based on the Similarian. That is actually incorrect. They do not. Mm. Have, they do not have the legal right to adapt the Similarian. Only things from the appendices, and then the tons of extrap- extrapolation from things they know about Middle Earth. Uh, but so we were, we're getting a footnotes adaptation. We're getting an adaptation. Correct. Of footnotes. Absolutely, we are. Okay. It is the most Tolkien adaption you could possibly imagine. We really don't have any idea here. I think I can say with confidence, neither I nor the Daniels have any sort of knowledge about what's going to happen next on the show. There are events that are knowable. I will say, if you really want to go out, you can probably read more to discover some of the histories, but the show is reworking the histories in a way that is both fresh, where we're probably going to discover things that we, that are known, but there's also going to be, there's a lot of unknowns out there as well that we're going to discuss uh, later today. Um, But we're not going to be spoiling anything beyond the second episode. I don't even think we're going to talk about the the next time on. Uh, So fear not. We will not be spoiling anything on the future of the Rings of Power. Now, before we get into the Rings of Power proper, I just thought it might be a good idea to break the ice with our listeners to talk about our relationship to Lord of the Rings, one of the most popular stories in modern history. And I say modern history is in post-World War II. Daniel Stoll, 
I'm starting with you, man. What is the, your relationship to Lord of the Rings and uh, also just Tolkien's larger Middle Earth high fantasy? Yeah, I I love Lord of the Rings. Uh, ever since I was in middle school, I think I went and got and saw the two towers in theater. I didn't think I didn't get to see the Fellowship. But I saw the two towers in the theater. That was uh, I'd already watched the Fellowship, and then. Uh, the two towers were coming out, so I got to, that was one of my first like big theater movies that I got to see, um, and so that was really exciting. Um, so I've always loved Lord of the Rings, even since I was little. And then after watching them, uh, I actually ended up reading them later in high school, and then as I mentioned earlier, ended up taking a, a Tolkien class um, in college, actually, which was really fun. Um, but outside of the you know the main trilogy and the Hobbit, of course, um, I that's all I've read. I've played you know Lord of the Rings video games, stuff like that, but. Um, my, you know, knowledge is contained to the Hobbit and the trilogy of the Lord of the Rings. But I, I am a huge fan. I have a lot of nostalgia for for Lord of the Rings, and yeah, that, that's my general relationship with uh, with Lord of the Rings. And I just want to be extra clear to make sure. I mean, assuming obviously you're talking about the major figures, Tolkien class you and I took in college. I just want to specify. When you say that you have uh, working knowledge of The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings, you're referring to both the films and the Yeah, 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 correct. correct. I've seen all the uh, – I've read all of them and I've uh, seen all of them. So I've, got, I've gotten both of those under my belt. Have you read The Similarium? I have not. Uh, it, that, that, I don't have that. Uh, I've, had, I've, had, I've had conversations with friends who have told me some of what's in it, but I don't, haven't retained all of that information. But that's my extent of knowledge when it comes to, to Lord of the Rings. All right. Thank you, Daniel, for giving us some more background there. Daniel Bo Kemper, how about you? I feel like the Cimmerillion is like the reason Wikipedia exists to some extent. Like that is it is quintessential. It is pre-Wikipedia, Wikipedia for Middle Earth. Yes, yes. Um, but uh, in in that in 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 that uh, on that note, I should say I have not read it. Um, my relationship, uh, somewhat close to yours, but less involved. I never uh, got to enjoy a, a Tolkien class, but that sounds awesome. Um, I have not read the Lord of the Rings trilogy itself. I've read the Hobbit. Um, and I do really like Tolkien. It's not in middle earth, but I do like Tolkien's, um, adaptation of a uh, Sir Gowan and the green Knight. Um, there's also, um, I did see the, the first three films. I've rewatched them since, uh, a lot. And I, ha- I feel like I've seen the Hobbit animated film, but I didn't see, I think there is also like from the eighties or Rankin Bass, 70s. the Rankin Bass animated film. Yeah. yeah there's, there's the Hobbit. The there is the fellowship, fellowship and then there's Return, Return of, the of the King. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. No two towers. Um, but, um, I did see, uh, all the films as a kid, uh, or all the, the, I guess modern, the Lord of the Rings trilogy in the early aughts. Uh, my dad took me to all three of them and he fell asleep during all three of them. I remember, uh, but I love them. I, I was, um, you know, just kind of enthralled and taken aback. And I think they did kind of kickstart my, uh, a lot of my interest in fantasy, um, specifically beginning with the, the reading the Hobbit too. Um, because I think I did that, like, <laughs> like I knew I was going to get to see Lord of the Rings in like two months. So I tried my, my best to read the Hobbit, um, in its entirety. Um, and then realized it had nothing to do. Like it kind of did. It felt like I was getting to watch the sequel to what I just wrote. So that was neat. And I was in a lot of ways. Um, but yeah, the video games mostly are the, are the other ways I'm kind of connected with them. And I think, um, of course, shadow of Mordor, um, I've played and that's a does, very underrated game, by the way, it is. And, uh, your boy, Sarah Bimbor, um, he, he is a major part of that game. Ah, yes. Sarah Bimbor. Sarah Bips, right? <laughs> I don't, he's, he's so important. 
uh, I can remember his name perfectly. Um, no need for a correction. You won't, you won't be, um, in the next episode having to, to make any correction to the pronunciations here, Caleb, fear not. Um, but the, um, the Tolkien fans have already come for us, Daniel. Yeah, there are no, they... We're at least 10 minutes in right now. We have already been murdered by the Tolkien fans or they've decided <laughs> to just forgive us and listen anyway, or they've decided we suck at our Literally jobs. Literally the it's first, okay. first character's day we brought up, we fucked up. So that's a good, that's a good batting average, but, um, one video game um, that I really like, I'll just mention too, that I played a lot of was Battle for Middle Earth. Yes, me too. Yeah. I love Battle for oh, Middle Earth. So good. Real Such time good strategy. strategy. One of my favorite genres that just has, has a dying art. Yes. Honestly. Yes. No, that is a, is a fantastic game. So can't mention that. I think I, I think I put more hours into that than any other like individual Lord of the Rings. Listen, dude, whenever you okay. summon the Balrog, it is, I mean, you have to put so much work and it's basically near impossible. <laughs> you're to already going to win. Like you, you, you're. <laughs> Yeah. It's one of those things where like victory is assured. <laughs> when you get to the Balrog, you don't need to summon. <laughs> but when you summon the Balrog, you get to feel like a god and say, ha ha, fear me, I am going to destroy your city. Exactly. Yes. It, but, uh, uh, it's great. And if you are, uh, if you play Magic the Gathering like I do, you, you're about to get a really heavy dose of Lord of the Rings because they are doing a, a Lord of the Rings set, I think, next year. Oh, no. I don't know if that's a good thing. Jeff Bezos is being very smart with his money. Yep. Investments, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So here's my thing. I adore the Peter Jackson films. Uh, and I want to reiterate this because I actually thought for a while that I just liked them and it kind of faded from memory. But I recently purchased that when after I got a PlayStation 5, I finally had a 4K Blu-ray player. And I had heard the 4K remasters for both trilogies, The Hobbit, and especially for The Lord of the Rings, looked really, really good. So I went and bought them uh, as a gift to myself. I think it just uh, a lot of people were talking about. I guess a lot of people watched Lord of the Rings the trilogy at Christmas time because they came the, the movies originally came out at Christmas time. So it's a thing people on the internet talk about doing. So I went and bought them and uh, we watched all six movies, including the Hobbit films. But I will say, uh, especially the Lord of the Rings films, I was just kind of in awe at how well they've they've held up more so than most films that are 20 years old hmm. because they, they lean the Lord of the Rings specifically holds up even much better than the Hobbit films by a lot because yeah. they, they just have a better sense of storytelling and a great, a clear passion and admiration for the characters and the world without being overly preachy about the history of the world. And it, they give you just enough to understand the stories and the, and the, and the, the character, the histories of, of middle earth that you get are designed to, help you understand the motive, the motivating factors behind why characters are doing what they're doing again, just, mm-hmm. and obviously you have big battles and we would not have high fantasy today. If it were not for Lord of the Rings, it, yeah. it, we wouldn't have game of Thrones. We wouldn't have any number of high fantasy related IP that's floating out there. If it had not been for the massive success of Lord of the Rings. Oh yeah. Probably wouldn't get Dune. I think. Uh, no, yeah. no, I don't think we get, a, I don't know if we get Dune. I mean, it's a lot of movies, mm-hmm. frankly, and I really think upon rewatch, those movies are masterpieces and that I, I do think they're going to stand the test of time largely. And it's just because it's just good, really great filmmaking. They they have CGI, but they don't lean on it like a crutch. Unlike the Hobbit movies, which I do feel like lean on CGI yeah. as a crutch. And it's just it, just top notch. So I adore those films. I like the Hobbit films more than I thought I would like them upon rewatch. They're not great. But as a fan of the Lord of the Rings, I was like, oh, cool. This is very I can take it or leave it. It's fun. I don't feel like I have to watch it every time I watch the more Lord of the Rings. It's great. 
I took the classes Daniel talked about, major figures on Tolkien, and I definitely came to respect Tolkien as an author via that class, especially understanding his influences and his methodology. But let me just point it, let me, let me just boil it down to this. What do I think about Lord of the Rings, the novels? Um, oh, oh, last thing. I love The Hobbit, the novel. I think is a fantastic novel. Easy read. You can read it in like three hours. One yeah. sit. It's a great yarn. Okay. The novel is The Lord of the Rings, though. I kind of hate him. <laughs> I kind of hate Tolkien's prose. And Tolkien fans everywhere are like, if they're still listening for some reason, they are shouting at their their uh, iPods, uh, or sorry, their, their iPhones, or their, their AirPod Pros, or their car speakers, or whatever they're listening through. I'm not saying it's bad. I respect the hell out of it. Because if Tolkien doesn't do those books, we don't get the movies. And the movies are, again, hugely influential on cinema today. And Peter Jackson needed all of that material to understand how to really create a lived-in world the way he did. I think that the world that Tolkien has made is incredible. And again, as we'll get to later in this review, it, it it's so impressive that he wrote these languages and this detailed history and breakdown. And Daniel Stoll, you may remember this. You and I also took a separate class on C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis and uh, J.R.R. Tolkien, for those of you who are not familiar, uh, were peers. They were part of a uh, an author's group called The Inklings, where they often exchanged ideas together. And uh, the two of them actually had very opposite ideas of how fantasy should work. Tolkien was very focused on you got to build the world first. You got to build the world. You got to write the languages first. Like we need, you need to lay down those ground rules before we can really start to effectively tell the character stories. Whereas C.S. Lewis is like, Eh, what if you just wrote the story and don't explain it because it's magic and magic doesn't matter? No. no. <laughs> and uh, I tend to gravitate a lot more towards the C.S. Lewis philosophy of fantasy than I do Tolkien. I found the novels, specifically The Lord of the Rings and The Similarian, to be a slog to read. Yeah. That does not mean they are bad. That means that Caleb Masters does not connect with that style of prose because he, you know, you're walking along. All right. We're walking in the Shire and Hey, there's the, what's his name's farm. The history of that farm. You know, that guy was born on this farm and here's the crops he grew and he had kids, you know, here's what the kids do. 10 pages of description of this farm. We never go back to the Tolkien, farm. Tolkien, I don't know if the farm really matters, but that, no, it does. No, we never go back it's to the right. farm. We never go back to the farm. And this is in the first third where I'm supposed to be like gripped by the story I just, it, again, some people love it, and I think that's great. Again, I think it's necessary for us to understand Middle Earth as a larger thing, but for me, it's not really my thing. Daniel? Yeah, I uh, often call myself a heretic when it comes to Lord of the Rings uh, because I actually, having read all of them, think that in some ways the movies are better. <laughs> Um, Christopher yeah, Tolkien, think, Christopher Tolkien, the son of J.R. Tolkien, just rolled around his grave because apparently, as we'll get into later, vocalized how he thought the movies ruined the novels. Okay, anyway, continue. Yeah, I mean, I think obviously those are pretty thick novels too. There's a lot of content missing, and I get all of that. But I think I kind of have a similar approach uh, as you. Not that uh, I necessarily favor Lewis over Tolkien, but just I think that he is an incredibly vivid writer uh tolkien is and i think like you said like after he gets done talking about the history of that farm in 10 pages the uh you know the, the person is walking and then he he sees a hill and he spends 10 pages talking about the hill too like and i think that's really where it makes it 
uh, incredibly like if you I completely understand how someone could enjoy that style of writing you get a super vivid picture of exactly what this world looks like how it functions and I think that is incredible I think his he's probably one of the best world building authors yes maybe ever I love that but if you want to sit down and enjoy this story I think it's better to uh, to enjoy this story through the media of film than it is through the way that he wrote them. I think you just summed it up a little bit uh, pretty succinctly, Caleb. It's just, I, I've read them all through once. I, I probably won't ever read them all again. Not that they're not, not because they're bad, they're amazing, but uh, it's just, it's so difficult to, to get through uh, and stay connected to the story in the way that he writes. The last thing I'll say, and we're going to do more comparisons to the, Game of Thrones and House of the Dragon here in a little bit when we get into the content of the episode. But I think the thing that was really illuminating to me was when I started reading other fantasy authors who I actually think take what Tolkien did and, and take it to a, in a different direction. I think the thing that really keeps me from really connecting is the prose. He writes as a historian perspective, which I want to reiterate is not an invaluable. Like that, like that is that is still a very valid way to write a fantasy it's just not a way I prefer to consume my fantasy stories or or be immersed in it. I mean, um, you, you know, we get George R. R. Martin, uh, his prose, I think, are, are incredible. I, I like I, I feel like I understand the world of Westeros very, very well through the prose because everything you need to know about the world, you learn through the characters and it instantly makes it all very relevant to the story you're experiencing. There's a lot of other authors who I, I think have taken what Tolkien did and and found ways to write in a much more engaging manner while also accomplishing similar, maybe not as detailed, but similarly detailed worlds in their own way um, that have come after him. So obviously, again, he is the grandfather of high fantasy as we know it. We wouldn't have any of the Wheel of Time. We wouldn't have Game of Thrones. We wouldn't have any of these things without him. So um, credit, credit's due. Uh I, I just I want to turn it here. I mean, when, when you guys heard that that we were getting this Lord of the Rings prequel TV series, what did you think about it, Daniel Bokemper? Um, I honestly can't say I was like super stoked, in in the sense that that I think everyone else was because again, it's it's what you do with the intellectual property. I I am getting increasingly annoyed, especially over the past decade to have just like an intellectual property attached to something and be like, Oh, you're, you're going to have to enjoy it. And I know they, they keep coming in a lot of ways. And in, 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 in many instances, maybe even with like house of the dragon, I get pleasantly surprised, but, but I, it really, it has to follow through. It actually has to be a good thing. It can't just be set in this world and everyone expect it to be, um, you know, a- adequate. I think we still have to hold it accountable as a good story. So I was a skeptical, to be honest. Um, but part of me is excited because I do like the, the you know, at least what I've seen, I think the Lord of the Rings, the adaptations, to Daniel's point earlier, are better than Tolkien's, you know, what, what he said. I haven't read it personally, uh, but based on what you're saying and then based on what I gravitate towards in prose, including fantasy prose, um, you know, Frank Herbert's about, the the highest I can tolerate, and he's not. Yeah, Frank Herbert's uh, pretty close. I mean, he's, he's close. He's I think there. he's a little better in that he's more invested in his characters. I like, agree. I I do agree with that. Um, and so that's that's the only thing I, I'll I'll say it to that end. I, I don't. They're both important writers, but that's the thing. I don't want this to be like a totally like Tolkien doesn't know what he's um doing or anything like that. But like I I can't say I was 
yeah, super, super excited. I wanted to wait and see. I will say, at least now that I've seen it, I mean that the money they've invested to it is evident in in, in what we're seeing. But, but yeah, that was also the board thing I was fixating on is just how much this fucking thing costs to exist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let, let's let, let, let's let's talk about that for just like a, yeah. just a quick just a quick beat. And Daniel, I want to I want to come back to hear what you thought when they announced the show, but. So according to Deadline, Amazon paid $250 million to have the right to make this TV series. I want to note this is another correction. I think I in one of our I think in our preview episode for The House of the Dragon, I said it was a billion dollars. Don't worry, I'll get to where the billion dollar figure comes in here in a second. But it was $250 million to have the right to make this. Like no investment whatsoever in the cost to make it. Just the, the, the option to make this as a TV show. And then another $1 billion was committed by Amazon for the production budget of the series over a planned five-season arc. And then Variety reports that the first season alone cost $465 million. So season one, which is only eight episodes long, costs more than any other TV show by a mile, more than any movie ever made. This is one of the if not the most expensively produced media ever made just uh, to, for, for for some context listeners i hope i hope it's worth it i i hope oh God. It, what is money even what i mean is, when you're, i mean that's i'm sure jeff bezos says that every day what is money <laughs> what is this even? i want more of it but i don't know what it is <laughs> what is it doing <laughs> and uh yeah um so daniel i just to, to take it back to you here i mean what were your thoughts when they announced that they were doing a prequel tv series for lord of the rings um i was actually i wouldn't say i was like hyped but i was like oh okay this could be cool like uh and and most of that honestly is a probably a little bit of nostalgia talking just because i think I, like I said, I, I love Lord of the Rings. I love Middle Earth. I love going to that world. And it's been a while since I went there. Um, and so when they were like, hey, we're going to tell you this story and you're going to get to go to Middle Earth. I was like, ah, I'd like to go back and visit there again. Like, um, So that was generally my just a general like, oh, that could that could be cool. Like uh, that could be exciting, uh, I guess, was my general sort of uh, response. I, I wasn't necessarily expecting anything, you know, I'm this is going to be amazing or, or anything like that. But I was just, yeah, I really enjoy that universe and it was exciting to see that there might be a way for me to go and enjoy that universe again. Well, I think I would just say I was more curious, honestly, mm-hmm. more than anything. I wasn't upset. I wasn't disappointed. Uh, I was, I wouldn't even go as far as to say I was excited. I was like, well, clearly I think famously and to go find a link to the site, this, but the, the internet um, folklore, <laughs> and I'm sure there's a citable story out there. I just don't have it in front of me, so I don't want to be listed incorrect. But the sort of internet folklore was that Jeff Bezos, at some point, in trying to prop up Amazon Video, said, I want my Game of Thrones. So what better way to get your Game of Thrones than to go buy the most famous fantasy IP, intellectual property, or, or, or story ever written and then pouring insane amounts of money into it. Like that is the philosophy. And I was like, well, I don't know if this is the best approach to like why you would want to make a show, but at least they are putting their money where their mouth is. And I will also say as we're going to get into here in a little moment, while Peter Jackson is not involved, they did lean heavily on people who had previously worked on the films. Mm -hmm. 
So I was like, I do. I'm curious about how this is going to turn out. There's similarities and they're not just. Oh, very intentional. Nerd. (laughs) Again, we're going to get to it. Very intentional similarities that are not technically connected officially, legally speaking, but they're very intentional. Did you guys know anything? Uh, Daniel Bokeper, I'll start with you. Did you know anything about the story going into this? No, because I was among the many who thought it was like an adaptation of the Cimmerillion in some way or um, something to that effect. I know I I knew very little. I didn't honestly didn't know until I started watching the series that it was going to be about the rings being forged. I thought it was going to like be about the rings being dispersed. Like I thought we were going to start with them already created and it was going to go from there. But Mm -hmm. so, yeah, no, I, 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 I know more now about it, but very little. How I had to watch two episodes. Yeah. (laughs) Daniel Stoll, did you know anything about this going in? No, I I knew nothing. I had looked nothing up on the internet. I saw the trailer, the first trailer that came out. I saw it, and and then that's it. So going in pretty uh, blind on uh, what was going to be happening. So I I will admit, I mistakenly also thought that the similarity was in some way informing the story here. And I I mean, I think it indirectly informs things that happen here because obviously the showrunners know they also have to – Again, this is where it gets very complicated. The showrunners do have to adhere to the Tolkien estate's request that it does fit within the continuity established by Tolkien. But also, they can't, like, directly adapt the events of the Similarian either. So, yeah, it's it's a weird it's a weird uh, needle of thread, I will say. Mm-hmm. But I knew generally it was going to be set during the Second Age, during the, the Forge of the Ring. What I will also say, though... I think I saw, I think there were three major trailers for this that came out. Maybe I think it was three. At the end of every trailer, I was like, "Man, this looks so expensive and so cool." I was like, "But I don't know what the story is gonna be about. Like, I don't know what the actual. I mean, I know generally what the story is gonna be, but like, what's the story? Who are the characters? Like, I honestly didn't realize Galadriel and Elrond were gonna be major front." like leading characters yeah. in the series until I turned on the first episode. So, uh, the marketing for this is like. They were definitely marketing to remember Middle Earth and how awesome that was. Unless this is a cool thing that's happening in Middle Earth. You know what I mean? It, it was definitely mm. a different. I, at least that was my take. Because I, I, I just had no clue like what the actual plot was going to be other than that. Okay, I know it's set during the Second Age. And it's how it's basically, as we'll get into here, a very expanded version of the prologue that was read by Galadriel in the Fellowship of the Ring. Mm. So. With that said, let's go ahead and get into our review of these first two episodes here. My brother gave his life hunting the enemy. His task is now mine. Speak your truth. You're Stand with me. Ours was no chance meeting. Search Not fate. Nor destiny. Ours was the work of something greater. So according to the IMDB, the official synopsis for Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power reads, Epic drama set thousands of years before the events of J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings follows an ensemble cast of characters both familiar and new as they confront the long-feared re-emergence of evil to Middle-earth. 
again, just want to make sure it's clear we are providing our spoiler-free thoughts on both episode one, uh, A Shadow of the Past, and episode two, Adrift Here. And, you know, this is adapting, as I said earlier, the appendices. And for those of you who have not read, there that's what's kind of fun about this. There are so many people bringing so many different types of journeys and levels of, like, engagement with this, this franchise to the, there are people who have been born and bred into reading these novels and every piece of Tolkien uh, content, related content that's ever come out. There are people who love the movies, who have only seen the movies, but they love the movies. They love The Hobbit, they love Lord of the Rings. And there are certain people who have only seen Lord of the Rings, mm. <laughs> like the, not even the Hobbit movies. Like It just is really interesting to talk about. So I just want to clarify, this, this the series is pulled specifically from the Lord of the Rings appendices. If you've never read the novels, the appendices are in the back of the book and they provide a lot of historical context for events that happen in the novel. Again, structured very much like an encyclopedia, if you've read them. I just want to make it very clear. Like they have footnotes at the bottom of the pages. They're like, if you want to learn more about what this word means, go to the appendices and we'll tell you. It's very bizarre. Uh, so, though, a couple, a couple important things I want to note here because it's easily confused. As I was saying earlier, though it is set in Middle Earth in the Second Age, and it is adhering to the strict continuity that is approved by the Tolkien estate, and uses many of the same resources, including the Weta the Weta team and Howard Shore, who composed the main theme, not not the entire score, just the main theme that you hear playing during the opening mm-hmm. credits. Despite all of this, and you would, you would think, yeah, this is a prequel to Lord of the Rings. Well, it is a prequel to Lord of the Rings, but not Lord of the Rings, the films. Technically. Because a couple of reasons. One, legal reasons. Uh, I believe Warner Brothers, who owns MGM and New Line, now owns the film rights to Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, while Amazon owns the TV rights. That's the very pragmatic, practical reason. Other reason, and this is pure speculation on my part and the part of a lot of people on the internet, the Tolkien estate, especially the late Christopher Tolkien, as I mentioned earlier, really did not like Peter Jackson's films and really wanted someone else to distance themselves from it as much as possible while also simul- distance themselves from it while also simultaneously adhering to the continuity that they wanted to adhere to. What was his Beef? Did he ever like verbalize? Like, did he, he thought ever, they were? Like, he thought they were like dumb action movies. He thought it watered it down. And, he's and, a dumb action yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't. <laughs> there's a quote. There's a quote. I can. I'll see if I can find it. But there is a legit quote of like why why he doesn't like them. He, he the, the kind of the gist of it is he thought they they watered down action movies that paid no respect to the histories or any of that. Which is again, it just God. is very bizarre to me because I thought it was a yeah. There it, are easier ways to say you just don't like movies. <laughs> Like really, really. Are. You don't have to pull your dad into it. Oh man. You know? um, and now here's here's another interesting bit. Um, so very early on in the process, apparently Jackson got tapped to review some scripts, but then they ghosted him. The I, they being the producers or whoever's working on leading the writers' room ghosted him, so he never reviewed it. Now Jackson himself doesn't see this as a slight because he's long for. And again, if you watch the Hobbit behind the scenes, he was clearly not. He did not want to direct those movies. Another example is we kind of related to what we talked about with Miguel Sapochnik and the the uh, Game of Thrones universe. Peter Jackson was pretty burned out yeah. on Middle Earth and, make, and telling stories. More. So he actually has 
in his recent interview said, yeah, I'm actually super excited to watch a, a story set in Middle Earth that I didn't have to make, um, which is great. I'm happy for him that he gets to experience that. Uh, but also he did acknowledge when asked about it. He's like, yeah, they, they said they were going to send me scripts and then they never sent me scripts. <laughs> So uh, anyway, and there's a lot of speculation as to like the timing, but I think there is a try. I do think it's a couple of things. Legally, it can't resemble the films too much, Mm -hmm. even though clearly they're trying to evoke the films as much as possible. I just think it's such a weird needle, the thread there. Uh, Last thing I want to know before we really get into the two episodes, Amazon announced, uh, you know, since uh, airing that the Rings of Power, the first two episodes earned 25 million global viewers, which is Amazon's biggest premiere, uh, Amazon videos, biggest premiere ever. That sounds awesome. It's a great number. Definitely not even a quarter as many people who watch the Super Bowl. But you know what? I'll still take it. I do want to note, though, what is notable and how they're reporting the global numbers Whereas most television shows, especially HBO, which is, you know, as we've talked about on a preview episode, a little bit of competition here. Uh, House of the Dragon reported 10 million viewers for its first episode, but that's just for the U.S. They're not reporting on global numbers. So a little bit of PR spin there in the 25 million v- asterisks global viewers. You know, just I think they they this movie was so or sorry, this show was so expensive. It had to succeed. And I think they're trying so hard to kind of like pump it up. Like, look how successful this is. Uh, Anyway, just some just a little fun fact there. Hmm. All of that said. Let's get into the episodes, you know, 39 minutes into this recording. Daniel Bokemper, what did you think of the first two episodes of Lord of the Rings? Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power. Yeah, I was mentioning earlier how the 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 budget is is visible and it it is very 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 cinematic and um i do love like how how to some extent this also falls into my criticisms but just just from an initial impression i do love how like sprawling it is like but it's just i can see it being harder to like keep up with but um you know, I know it's not really connected to the, the the Lord of the Rings films, but again, it does feel heavily inspired. It, it, it does feel familiar. I don't think they could release a Lord of the Rings series. And, and, I, and I do want to make sure it's very clear. It's by design. Yeah. Yeah. No, it is a very deliberate impression of um, of Jackson's trilogy and well, more. So I guess maybe the bit of The Hobbit, but more, but more I again, just greater familiarity and I think greater fondness. Think of the original Lord of the Rings trilogy. Um, but those films, they they. They had one thing that's a little bit weird right now is you get a lot of characters right off the gate going in a lot of seemingly distant directions. Unlike like House of the Dragon, they're all very, very closely related. Um, to some extent, the films did that initially in a lot of ways. I mean, it was still all connected, but but you did get sprawling tangents. Yeah, and, but, it, but the films did start in the Shire. They did. They they and, they and did. That's like the yeah. the it, it grew out from the Shire versus yeah. this where it's just it's jumping like around everywhere and it's trying to yeah bring it in. And I don't know how they're going to do that. So yeah, that's a very good point. Um, but I still think it makes sense for the t- television series to do that. I think there's a way they can bring it back. I, I do feel like if there was anything that set itself up to be a good like anthology series, this would have been it. That's clearly not the direction they're going. But I think if some of these individual arcs were just like their own one to two episodes, almost like little films, that would have been just a way cooler experience, I think, as a fan. Um, but, but now, you know, but, but also they want you to make sure you, you watch all of them every single episode. And so I'm sure that's part of the reason why it's presented the way it is. 
Um, so yeah, it doesn't feel that well woven together. It almost feels like it has out of the like, I guess four, five threads that are like going through. The, I think I like want to say there's four major threads. Threads, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think it's four, and I it's like that feels like kind of one too many in the style of storytelling. Well, you've got especially by episode two, just to break it down for listeners here. The, the first one uh, being you have Galadriel Drill. who's on her like venture to like to, to, mm-hmm. to prove that the darkness is still out there. Uh, you've got Elrond who is trying to. I mean, work. He's trying to, frankly, he's trying to to elevate his career <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, but yeah. make Middle Earth better. Better. Like, yeah. Sure, generally speaking, the mission yeah, is and, yeah. You maneuver the discord, suppress the darkness. Uh, you have the Harfoots, uh, mm-hmm. who the are proto hobbits. I guess. Yeah, they are proto hobbits. Yeah. Uh, which I, from what I understand from the behind the scenes, is they felt that they needed to incorporate hobbits in some manner, even yeah. though they're not technically hobbits of the Shire that and, we know. Yeah, and Nori is the mm-hmm. yeah the main character there. And then we have the. I mean, I guess there's a couple of subplots that fall under this umbrella. So I guess it, it could be more groups. But you have what I would say is the sort of the reemergence of Sauron a little bit, but amongst the little village. Of it's two, like this, the, like the, the, the light. Yeah. Yeah. And the are showing up and it's like Arandir, the, the I believe, or mm-hmm. Arandor is the the ranger. Right. Correct. The ranger. And then there's a human healer. I can't think of her name off the top of my head, but and her son. Um, but so, yeah, I guess four. There isn't really. Yeah, I mean, you could technically that last one. I think you could break into to two if you really wanted to. But yeah, 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 yeah. yeah but four, it still feels like kind of like bloated already, <laughs> and we're like two episodes in. I would, you know, I'm gonna be positive here and say ambitious. It's Maybe. only it's only bloated if they don't deliver. Or they... that's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah. So it's it's a little mixed, but but mostly positive. Like it, it's fun, and I I just like high fantasy, so I'm going to lean towards that but it it does definitely feel a little less character focused and it's a lot more here's the important things we're going to present to you and like whether or not those really like it's hard for me not knowing the full context of everything knowing which of these pieces matter you know what i mean like with like i don't i never i don't find myself asking that that's the problem with talking (laughs) yeah no exactly yeah it's like there's a moment and uh i think it's the second episode and whenever it's whenever Elrond is visiting um, Mr. Uh, Kellabrimbor, uh nailed it. Yeah, did I get it? I don't know. Oh, man. <laughs> don't ask. Please God, don't ask. People hate me. me so much right now. Uh, but the architect essentially, he they're looking at this tool that I believe is in some way tied to the Similarian. He's mm-hmm. like, they talk for like three minutes about this tool. It's lived thousands of years. It's seen things. It's caused. It's built so many great things. Ah, but it's created pain and all this. I'm like. And it looks like it cost fifty thousand mm-hmm. dollars as a prop, and I, and then they turn away from it, and I was like, you know, in any other show, I would say the reason they spent that time is because it is obviously going to be very critical to something that's going to happen later. But in a Tolkien fantasy, I think they just did it so they could talk about the history. Uh, also, probably going to end up on the wall of Jeff Bezos's kids' <laughs> bedroom. I don't, I'm not wrong. I mean, that's. <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, all right. Well, Daniel Stoll, what did you think of the first two episodes of The Rings of Power? Yeah, I, I have. Maybe I'm more negative. I don't know. Um, I definitely think like uh, what you said towards the end, Daniel, is sort of where I'm at, where I don't know why I should care about these characters. Um, I Maybe I'm being too harsh, uh, but with the, the all the different storylines, as you said, I think as, as a weakness where it's hard to follow uh, each story. There's a lot going on, and I don't know 
there's not a lot of character focus and like even Galadriel, who I, you know, know from the Lord of the Rings, uh, books and films that I've seen, I'm like, why do I care that she's on this ship or, you know, like falling uh, on this, you know, raft and, you know, I, why did they make such a big deal for jumping off the ship when I like already knew that she wasn't going like, I don't know, like it, yeah. there are shows that can do things like, uh, Caleb, you and I have talked about this before with like Better Call Saul, where like we know certain the outcome. I know it's not fantasy, but I we know the outcome, but you can still make me feel the tension. Uh, uh, there are certain st- like with her, I did not feel the tension at all in her story uh, for me. So I think the the story is trying really hard to be this epic big story right off the bat, and I and I just feel a little lost, and uh, I'm wondering where why should I care about these characters? I will say I think the second episode did a little bit better with that. Um, I think it's. I think uh, for me, I don't know how it hit for you guys, but I think for me, when Elrond goes to see, uh, you know, the dwarves, some mm-hmm. of those moments hit uh, like, oh, I, I can maybe like when he, especially when he goes and you see the wife. Ah, uh, wait, 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 Daniel. Sorry. I want to, I want to clarify for listeners oh. because this is Tolkien fantasy we're talking about here. He did not just go visit, go to visit the dwarves. He went to go visit his friend, Prince Durin the fourth in Casa Dune. Mm-hmm. Yes, which was cool. Actually, kind of cool to see it like uh, the Mines of Moria, where it wasn't all destroyed, but you actually see it living and breathing. That was cool. Um, but when you get to see like his family, that was like the first time in the first two episodes. I was like, oh, like this is a cute little like family that like I can care about these characters. Like I can care about him. He has a family that he cares about, and the that I was like, and he doesn't even see to be seem to be like one of the main characters funnily enough but um uh so that that stuff i think is missing the for me the small character moments of um giving us a reason to like root for these characters or care for these characters i think is it nori i think i can't remember if it's nori yes. or nora mm-hmm. but the harfoot okay. nori yeah nori yeah i think she I, she's probably the other character that i'm most interested in just but I get, uh, just because she seems to be having this like sense of adventure where the rest of her, um, you know, the, you know, the culture around there seems to not be to be like that, which is very Hobbit esque, uh, which we are the, is, again, familiar to us. Um, but the, the whole, the stranger thing, I think is at least intriguing. Like, what is this? Who is this person? I don't know if I'm supposed to know. I don't know who it is. Um, so yeah, I, I, mo- mo- even though I'm, I'm going to continue to watch. And I think that, like you guys have said, the budget is very clearly visible. Um, I still think it has potential to go places. I'm not a hundred percent sold on this series yet. And I still think I need more time. Uh, and I, I would want more for me. Characters are, and you know, everybody has their own preferences for me. Characters are really important and for me to get invested. And I just don't feel like the characters have fully landed for me yet. Uh, throughout the first two episodes, obviously they have, you know, six more episodes, maybe it's building to something. Uh, but for me, that's where I'm at right now. Daniel, when you're like, why do I care about Galadriel? Why is she on the boat? Daniel, so here's, here's the typical response I've gotten and in the, in the past, not recently for this series, specifically just with Lord of the Rings. Whenever you're like, but why would XYZ do this? And they're like, but it's, it's near Valinor. It's the, the, the sacred beaches. It's a cool, important thing. And I'm like, I it just, it, again, it goes back to that inherent, like, Certain people are really invested in like the world and yeah. I'm not, I'm not, not invested in the world. I just, 
Like, why do if 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 our characters are not doing meaning thing? If that 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 place doesn't mean anything meaningful to the characters, I don't understand why it matters. Now, okay, let me let me go here. Here's a few things. A lot of I have really spent a lot of time thinking about like this series more than I thought I would. I'm sad Austin Lucari, former guest host, uh, he's dead to us on this podcast, is not here to talk with us about this today because I think he would probably come down more positive than all three of us. But um, I admire the ambition. That's why I'm going to go back, Daniel. You said bloated, and it probably is bloated, but I won't I won't make that. I will not make that call until we see the whole picture. I, I see it more as ambitious. They are trying to tell such a large sweeping story, much like the original season of Game of Thrones. Um, where once you realize the scope of the story, you're like, how are they going to do this on a TV show? Like, it's so big. How would a movie even do it? It's so big. You know, you have all these different factions and, and parties. And even within the parties, there's people fighting with each other or disagreeing or having their own, like, motivations. How do you possibly do this on the big screen? Or, in this case, on the small screen. And... Man, those production values really tell me I got to at least stick it out. Um, it looks so good. I really do like Elrond and Galadriel. Actually, I'm going to come down a little differently than Daniel, though I think Daniel has a very valid point. I'll get to that in a second. I do really love those are the two characters I'm most invested in by a mile. I think that's by design, but I think some of that also comes from the fact that I do know who they are in the, the Lord of the Rings movies and the, and the novels. And because of that, some of their actions have a lot more weight than maybe some of these other characters I don't know as well, mm-hmm. which we'll get to in a second, especially with Galadriel. I love that I don't know what's going to happen, even though I generally know like what happens in the Similarian and I know what happens in the world, and we know generally where this is going. Um, I'm I'm I don't know what the episode to episode is going to be, so I'm really intrigued there. Again, kind of creating that tension, Daniel, with that prequels often miss. I think I, I I don't know if we know for sure if we have it, but I certainly feel intrigued to continue going on like, okay. I think the big thing about prequels is not, you know, we don't know where it's going. It's can you ask really compelling questions that kind of create that a different type of tension? And I think that's still possible with the show. And man, Bear McCreary's score, guys. I just need to stop. Howard Shore did the uh, who did the Lord of the Rings, uh that was a composer for the Lord of the Rings scores comes in with the main theme, but Bear McCreary does the scene to scene like music. And he is so good. Like every theme, every music beat, I'm like, God, I get chills with every one of them. Uh, it's, it's a winner. Every, every piece of music I've heard on the show has been a winner by, I just a tremendous, like iconic. I love it. Uh, so I have to say all that. Now, my problem I have with this is, uh, that I just don't like, Tolkien's writing style. And I think that this show for better or for worse, it's going to depend on your mileage and how much you like that approach is very loyal to what, how he wrote things. Mm-hmm. There's a very lengthy scene between Elrond and Galadriel where they talk. And there are some good character beats in that very lengthy conversation in the first episode. There's some good ones in there, but you have to wade through so much just rambling on about pointless history and like world building that I just don't think personally matters to these characters to get to the stuff that I think is really compelling. So for Galadriel, it's I've been around a long time. Mm-hmm. I have seen 
she was around in the first age. She says, I've seen how the, you know, the hearts of men can, can create this evil. I can't, I personally cannot, if I can't rest until evil is defeated. And if I feel this way, there's either one of two things that, that must be occurring right now. Either one evil is defeated and I'm the problem internally. There's something wrong with me or there's still a problem out there and I have to find it. That's really compelling, especially when you start to connect the dots to where we see where she ends up in the fellowship of the ring, where she is essentially tested on whether or not she can resist the power of the ring. I think it's just really compelling because she, she knows that she has this darkness in her to an extent that she's, she is never really fully tested until Frodo offers her the ring. And once she says, no, she is able to then, you know, uh, go to the, go across the sea and, and, and go on to elf heaven or whatever you want to call it. Um, Valinor, like it, it's, um, I do think the color they're adding to her character even more than Elrond's is particularly compelling. So I'm super excited to see where they go with her. Elrond, I just really love the relationship he has with the dwarves. And I love that he's got this very positive outlook on the world and, and, and just really wants to do great things that, and the way he's sort of more pragmatic and how he does that is great. But again, the things I like about these characters, you have to wade through so much seemingly we won't know for sure until this is done, but it's just like, God, I don't care. I just get to the point. Like, yeah. why are these characters? How do they know each other? What do they want? What, like, like, how can they help each other out? What are the positions or, or what are, what are, what are the conflicts amongst them that are keeping them from reaching that point? I don't need a whole history of, of like middle earth to, to figure that out. It, so I say all that to say, I think there really is good character stuff in there for certain characters, but you have to wade through just so much stuff that I find extremely tedious. Mm. And I'm confident that Tolkien fans love it. Um, and I'm okay with that. They're allowed to love it. I just don't really care for that style as much. Um, so I do find to Daniel's, uh, Daniel Stoll's point, it to be less character focused. I've been talking for a long time here. Uh, I want to give you guys a chance to weigh in. Cause I think you guys are both raise your hands. Uh, Daniel Stoll, did you have something you wanted to add there? I was just going to say, um, for me, the Galadriel stuff hasn't hit as well uh, for me as, uh, as Elrond's probably the one that's hit harder for me a little bit, but that again, just t is because it's tied into the dwarf stuff, which we also have is newer. Like I, I know we got some dwarf stuff in the Hobbit, but you know, in Lord of the Rings, uh, trilogy, like you have Gimli and you, when they go to the, um, through the mines, like the dwarves are all gone. And so like, so yeah. that part has been intriguing to me because it's newer and like being able to see what, you know what it was like is cool because i haven't seen that before so that stuff yeah. is exciting for me um so, which then makes it to where there seems to be a pretty clear theme through these first couple episodes of like the different races being separated and so the fact that elrond is able to have this really good friendship i know that you know um i can't remember his name right now but i know that the, the dwarf that he goes to see Darian. Um, prince darian Durian. Uh, Prince yeah. Prince Durin the Fourth in Casadun. Yeah, Prince Durin the Fourth in Casadun. Um, when he goes to see him, I know that like he has sort of a like, hey, you're an alpha, you live for a long time. I am a dwarf and I don't live for a long time, and you missed a huge part of my life. I think that's super that's the character stuff yeah. that I think is yeah, interesting. Stuff. Like how Elrond is perceives his life totally differently because of the way that you know his life is completely functions differently. I think that stuff is exciting. Um, and that's the character stuff I wish I was getting more of. Um, so, but for me, the Elrond story is probably the most intriguing. And then I, 
and well, the most interesting from a character perspective. And then the other story that is the most sticking out for me is the, the stranger, I guess is what we're calling him. that fell yes. from the sky. Um, I I'm, I'm guessing that people out there know who that is. I have literally no idea who that is. So that is exciting for me to like, see like, or intriguing. I'm like, what, who is this? What, what, like, I know they have this conversation about, he's not a human. He's not an elf. Like, what is he? And so I'm excited to see where that goes just out of the pure intrigue of that. So those are probably the two storylines that are sticking out the most, um, for me. Daniel Bokemper. Yeah, no. And I really just agree with Daniel is yes. it, It almost the, the amount or how compelled I was by the sequence of, Elrond and Durian traveling up the, as he's basically escorting him out, but not really, he's going to introduce him to his family. But as they were going up that, that elevator, um, essentially to lead out that, that was the most emotionally compelling sequence to me. Yeah. And it felt, and was holding Elrond, holding elves in their entirety accountable for like, Hey, you're yes, you time is different for you and you're immortal, but this is, you know, our perspective on this situation and our perspective on our, the time we have is, is a lot different and it matters to us. So you might think all of these things are superficial, me having a child, me, you know, assuming a bit of authority, me, you know, getting married, all those things, um, you know, they, they mean something to us and, you know, it's, it's, I don't know. It was just one of those questions and, and, and really important one that needed to be asked that I was like, Exactly. Like Daniel was saying, I wish I had more of that in this. I wish I had those character interactions because I think there's a place for them here. And instead we do get a lot of just lore and lore and lore and lore. And I, that that's just really not for me, but I would, Daniel, we get to go see that for the first time. We get to see the elven capital of Linden. Yeah. That's awesome. It's so good. (laughs) Remember, it's just like, there are people who care about that, but then I want to ask them why. Why do you care about it? It's like, a cool world. I want to live in it. Cool. What <laughs> like what is it? Just a name and some text. Like, like, is there anything fundamentally about that place that 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 would could would compel you? Because I'm gonna say this. You know what? There are plenty of things I like. I'm a huge Dune nerd, but I don't think Dune is cool just because I happen to see like a sandworm, or I happen to see, you know, a new interpretation of how the Harkonnens live. I'm interested in those things, but that does not drive the story. Um, I, I don't really care what the world is. I don't, I don't think I, I, I mean, yeah, I'm very attached to, to characters and their personal dramas, but I don't, I think that's what animates the story. That's, that's why you go that like, like seriously, like, I don't, I don't think any, like, I, I don't know why anybody would want to see a story where it just like shows random interpretations of a fantasy world you're familiar with on a bigger screen and then doesn't do anything to like animate them to make those places matter because the places don't matter. The things don't matter. The, the hammer that they talk about for three minutes doesn't matter. It's the characters. And I, I really hope, and they are, I, I will say the Dory, the, the Harfoot thing that, that is a very, I think that is a very character driven Yes, that um, is probably the most character-driven story of the uh, entire first two episodes. Yeah. yeah, and I am holding out for Elrond. Elrond has given me hope. Um, right I, I'm pretty. I, I I don't want to sell short. I really think Galadriel's good. I I hope. I mean, we'll see. But I'm, I, I, I get it on the high level. What intrigues me about her is more thematically in the internal struggle that they have planted. Yeah, and and I'm, I'm starting to see how. She has a really that, amazing that, scene in the Fellowship of the Ring where you see her go like all crazy, like crazy, dark, negative, dark, mm-hmm. and and you, 
and it's it and it is a moment in the film, but I I think like I can I feel like they're I can see them laying the tracks yeah. for why that scene is as big a deal. Like if you've only ever seen that movie, you're like okay, so she rejected the ring. Clearly, that's a big deal. Cool, but like I think what we're the track is being laid for that to be a lot more impactful. Yeah, like this is a th- multiple thousand year journey she's been on to have this moment come up where she has to say, and I'm not saying that justifies. Slower pace. I'm just saying, and I don't really care about this whole sea worm thing, honestly. But uh, she does have; she should get an award for the the best, most uh, uh, best endurance swimmer of all time. Uh, yes, you know? but uh, <laughs> I, I just think I days. I see the potential, and maybe that's what has me so attracted to her yeah. storyline. Versus Elrond, I think on a scene by scene basis is probably the one I'm most engaged with. Yeah. Um, another thing, just to reiterate here, Daniel. I mean, you you mentioned this. We do see a lot of things we haven't seen before Middle Earth. That so that's that is cool. Like they're not just rehashing. Even though, yes, they're clearly like remember Lord of the Rings, guys, and how great that makes you feel. They don't go back to any super familiar locations, as far as I can tell. I mean, it's all new no. places, a couple of familiar characters, but in very different places in their lives. That's all pretty cool to me. I really like that quite a bit. Uh, and, you know, I have to ask the question, though, I, and I think we've been dancing around it here for a while, so maybe we don't need to spend too much time on it. But what is it that separates fantasy and the Rings of Power to the fantasy we see in Game of Thrones or House of the Dragon? And I know, I know, there wouldn't be a House of the Dragon or Game of Thrones without Lord of the Rings. And it's, you know, George R. R. Martin famously said many years ago yeah, Aragorn's the king. That's great. What are his tax policies? What makes him a good t- king? Is he, just because he's a good guy doesn't make him a good king. Like, what is that? What is the actual execution look like? So we we know that, but I'm saying in terms of like the shows, what are the things that are different about the two that you think make one different from the other? Because I'm of the mind that both of these things can coexist, where other people think you got to pick one that's better or worse. Uh, Daniel Stoll, I'll start with you. Well, I definitely agree that both can coexist, and you can enjoy both of them. So. I think one thing I think that it's important to distinguish, at least for me, there's a big difference just from the foundation that Game of Thrones comes from versus Lord of the Rings. I think Lord of the Rings, typically, its world functions very clearly as a good versus evil story, where good is typically clearly defined and evil is clearly defined, whereas at Game of Thrones... uh, You know, there's like, I, I can't remember the exact quote, but something like good and evil exist within each person. And so there's like a bunch of morally ambiguous characters in a morally ambiguous world where in Lord of the Rings you have like these are good characters and these are bad characters. And that's nothing wrong with that. But I think that is like um, a a place where we start. And I think more modern uh, media is really engaging with the Game of Thrones style where like you have shows like, you know, anti-heroes are very like popular shows like the sopranos and uh breaking bad and better call saul and uh these shows like this where you have these like morally ambiguous characters that's something we're really interested in currently it feels like uh in our current time whereas that lord of the Rings style is a lot more traditional so i think that's one distinct difference uh that happens between these um and i think you know um just in the way that these shows are done the characters the House of the Dragon seems to be a much more character-driven show up to this point. Um, and I, I, I feel like after three episodes of House of the Dragon, I, I really know Viserys pretty well. Like, whereas, you know, after two episodes of Rings of Power, I 
still feel like I have a lot to learn about a lot of these characters. Um, and I don't feel like I know anybody super well. So I think that's another distinct difference between the two of them. Um, not saying that Rings of Power can't develop those characters or that, you know, House of Dragons is going to continue to have that engagement from me. But just from what we've seen so far, I think that's uh, another pretty significant difference. Um, and yeah, I think for me, those are the two standout differences that I would see between the two shows uh, for now. Uh, Daniel Bokemper, what do you think? Yeah, just to to reiterate, I think it is a distinction between characters and world building or setting. You know, we have, um, and and I think in a lot of ways the way they're even presented lends themselves to that. So again, if you want the, and I I, I don't I can't recall what the difference between high fantasy and fantasy is, but I would think Game of Thrones and Lord of the Rings exist within high fantasy. I think. Um, but uh, correct me if I'm wrong, of course. But um, of those two, you get more of a – despite that, I think Game of Thrones is quite a bit more grounded. It's quite a bit – you know, it has all those magical elements. But again, it's 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 the characters that matter that are living with them. And the characters are, are very human um, and in a lot of ways very, very realistic. Um, while – and it's weird to say this too. Uh, Lord of the Rings – comes off um, or the rings of power comes off as more cinematic, which is weird because it's like, I'm comparing it to what would I, I guess be the second most cinematic show. Well, I think House of Dragon is, is, very is, is probably, I mean, Game of Thrones set a new standard for what exactly. was possible cinematically. Like yeah. The original Game of Thrones series and House of the Dragon has only continued to elevate that. It has, but it's weird that I feel like the rings of power kind of, Oh yeah. Goes over that well, even. $465 million. We'll how can you not be cinematic? Right. Yeah. And, and, and there's that, but, it, but then that same thing, then it, that's what draws more attention to the set pieces and the settings and the worlds and the, and all of that. And it's all really cool um, to look. And I do not want to just devalue the, 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 how immersive the world kind of feels, but it's a show that, I'm observing somebody else's story. It's not, and even with like a video game, it, it can be immersive, but it still has to have something there that's emotionally um, connecting you to it. Whereas, and, and that's like the biggest difference I think is there's, you know, there, there's a prioritization. And again, it feels weird to say because they both have very high production values, but there is more of a prioritization. It feels like um, on Lord of the Rings to look really cool and look very immersive and get every last fucking detail about Lord of the Rings that we can in this thing. Right. Whereas with House of the Dragon, it, 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 again, it's like more, let's let these characters breathe. Let's let them, you know, they are going to be the take center stage. And to Daniel's credit, I feel way more at this point, feel more comfortable and by extension, more engaged with their story because it's so well established. We get to know them so quickly. Whereas I don't, I don't even know if, I kind of doubt rings of power at its current pace is going to do that with at least all of the stories that they have established are going to make them feel emotionally, you know, moving by the end of this, you know, this late episode season. Um, and I think that's the big difference. They're both pretty good. Um, some people would disagree with that. I, I, I think too, because you know, the one thing is we do, you know, Gladriel does lend herself to a more, you know, powerful, like internal struggle, but, um, you know, I, I, I don't think it's quite up to, and I don't mean to just compare her to Renara, but you know, they're two lead figures in their respective series. And I feel like, you know, I'm way more connected with Renara there. Um, but again, uh, it's a little bit incomparable to, to stress. They both can absolutely coexist. I would like more fantasy. 
um, in a lot of ways. I think there's a lot of room um, for it, and especially this genre. And I'm glad people are so excited about these things. But yeah, I I, I will say one feels a lot more human than the other, whereas yeah. the other just feels like it does have a very high budget. But you yeah. can't. Yeah. I don't well, know. and another thing here that I think that you know, I, I you can just tell that Rings of Power is sort of chasing Game of Thrones is the way the season is structured. Daniel, you were talking about how broad it is. It's funny because House of the Dragon has actually become more focused on character, fewer storylines, fewer characters in general, where you get a lot more time with them. Versus this, the first two episodes at least, definitely are taking more of a, and I wouldn't even say a season one Game of Thrones because even season one Game of Thrones was anchored pretty heavily by Ned Stark. I'm thinking like season three or four or five Game of Thrones. It's like. There's all these sprawling stories, and you know at some point they're probably going to connect, probably not this season. You're just kind of waiting to see how all these mechanics work themselves out so that they finally start to come together. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're doing that in season one, which I think is a big thing that I think is missing. Yeah. Because both House of the Dragon – House of the Dragon has a clear anchor, and I think Game of Thrones with via Ned Stark, that's why he's such a – powerful character and again a character not a plot mechanic Mm -hmm. uh he is a character that thus serves as a plot mechanic uh is so important to kind of ground you because again it's more like a tree growing out versus like you just drop a spider web you know like like yes game of thrones uh, even season one there are multiple storylines but it all is it all starts with a small centered around this one family and kind of the stories they're doing and then it branches out from there versus this it's like all right Here's these characters you don't know. Here's the introduction. Here's what they're doing. We're not really sure what they're doing, but here's what they're talking, they're talking about history. It's really cool. We don't really know why that matters. But, oh, and then there's this other group way over here doing their own thing, too. So I'm just interested to see how these things come together. I don't think it's they can't. Again, we're only two episodes in. I And I, I honestly am very impressed with what we've gotten. I like them a lot. I can't wait to see what happens in episode three. I just there are definitely a lot of things that keep me from embracing it uh, as much on a, it, it, it. It does not impact me as deeply as say an episode of House of the Dragon or Game of Thrones did, but I still really enjoy it quite a bit. Hmm. I think the last thing I want to ask about here before we start to hit on predictions and start to wrap up uh, wrap up the show. I mean, do you guys think this is going to be as accessible or appealing to viewers as Game of Thrones or even Jackson's trilogy? I know a big caveat here is Rings of Power is definitely going to be more family-friendly than Game of Thrones. I know there's not, like, as much swearing or nudity uh, or gruesome deaths. That that has one thing going for it. It's the only thing I care about. But I will also say, but I will also say, I know a fairly decent number of people, like, more than I can count on one hand, who have told me over the years Man, I really don't like fantasy. I love Game of Thrones. Yeah, though. and it's because they can relate to the the struggle, the power struggle, the the politicking. The, the like, ooh, I can relate to like forging alliances to sort of like elevate myself in like a work environment, or, or you know, or a personal environment, or uh, you know, like people could re- because Daniel see what Daniel Bocamper and Daniel stole what you were saying. Those those characters feel so real and lived in and believable and relatable, mm-hmm. as screwed up as they may be. That people really connect with that, whereas I, I, I just wonder, especially with this leaning even more into the Tolkien aspects. I'm like, I don't know that this is gonna break through the mainstream the way Game of Thrones or even Peter Jackson's movies did. Yeah, I, I, I would say this, and I, I think you're exactly right in that Game of Thrones is not necessarily for fans of fantasy. It is for people who like character dramas, um, and I think that's a wider audience. 
the rings of power, you kind of have to already be predisposed to fantasy. If you love fantasy, um, then you'll, you'll, you'll probably find a lot of things to enjoy about it. And I think you'll forgive a lot of things depending on the kind of fantasy you like. If you're a Tolkien mega fan or even just a fan, you'll probably at least endure it, if not enjoy it. Um, but yeah, whereas Game of Thrones, I think is, is quite a bit more accessible. And, and I would say, you know, I would almost say the same thing with the Lord of the Rings, you know, Jackson's original trilogy. I won't, I won't say that for the Hobbit, but I think for the original trilogy, again, more character focused, you still got to like fantasy, but I think it got a lot of people to like fantasy. Well, that's the thing, like, because, because the, the, the the characters were still very relatable and likable and, and, and. Again, Frodo and Sam, I mean, the, the, the hobbits created such a great sort of uh, archetype for people mm-hmm. to relate to and connect yeah. with in order to experience that world. Mm-hmm. I really don't think we have that in Rings of Power at all. No, no. And that's the that's the key difference. And I think that's what's going to hurt it the most. But it, who knows? Maybe maybe Bezos gets his Game of Thrones. <laughs> yeah. All right. Daniel Stoll, what do you think? Yeah, I, I pretty much agree. I think that... Um, kind of like what daniel said away at the very beginning like i think lord of the rings for me is probably what got me into fantasy in general like i you know wasn't really reading or doing a lot of enjoying a lot of fantasy and then lord of the rings came i was like oh i love fantasy actually and i've been enjoying fantasy ever since and i don't think and so that was definitely accessible and kind of went mainstream outside of like the adult content of game of thrones i think it is you know like you were saying uh rings of power is probably more family friendly but i think uh i've never really thought about that way as it being like a character drama more than a fantasy but i think there is some at least for house of the dragons so far that's especially probably true and so i i mean like even as i was watching uh with uh, Rachel, who's seen Lord of the the three Lord of the Rings films, but she's never read anything. After the first episode, she was like, "Wait, very confused about who was who and what was what." And wait, isn't Sauron the guy from blah blah blah? You know what I mean? Like, it, even though she's seen all that stuff, she still is having some confusion about that. So I think there is probably going to be it probably will not be as accessible in that regard. Um, so we'll have to see how this the show continues to do. See if it is able to um, pick up some of that on the way, but um, yeah, I, I think I generally agree with Daniel that it's uh, not going to be as accessible to uh, people like Game of Thrones can be. Mm-hmm. All right. Last question, our spoiler free section. And uh, I think guys, at this point, we're going to have a pretty abbreviated spoiler section just to clear things up here. Uh, I do want to hear from you guys. Letter grade. I'm borrowing this from my uh, film review and analysis podcast, the cinematic schematic on that podcast. We rate movies uh, from A to F, like you would in school. So A, B, C, D. We skip E for some reason. Still at age 31. Don't know why. Uh, straight to F. And I want to hear what you guys think. How would you rate the Rings of Power? Oh, also plus and, pluses and minuses are allowed. Okay. So for clarification. Daniel Stoll, what grade would you give the Rings of Power? So actually, I don't know if this is too critical. But like when you when I first read this question, the immediate letter that kind of popped in my head was a C. And I was like, oh, that feels a little harsh uh, when I thought that. I do think the second episode is a little bit better than the first episode. I think that's where we get some of those more character moments. Um, so I'm going to kind of like you were saying, like with the, am- the ambition earlier, I'm deciding with my grade to be – I'll try to be a little more on the positive side and say that it was a B- minus to start. 
All right, B minus from Daniel Stoll. Daniel Bowkemper, what grade would you give Rings oh, of Power the first I, two episodes? I am I am where Daniel was, I think, and I'm going to remain uh, at C for Sarah Bimbor. It just didn't, <laughs> except for Sarah Bimbor, it didn't uh, it didn't grab me. It has potential though. Like that's the thing. It feels weird a little bit to to grade at this early. So I don't want to say like it's not a grade on the whole show. Yeah, it's yeah. specifically the first two episodes, and that's what makes TV. I mean, we're doing two episodes at one time versus an yeah. episode by episode. And, and, and we've talked about this on the cast band, the wall of the years. Sometimes the season turns out to be greater than the sum of its parts. We're yeah. like, this was a great season. There wasn't like a, as many like highs. Mm-hmm. And also I would argue separate podcast, probably the last season of game of Thrones had a lot of great episodes, but like at the end of the day that they didn't, connect create they were great tv on an individual episode by episode but the end result was not ultimately satisfying so i say all that to say i hear you it is hard to say how do i grade this up based off two episodes because it is challenging because you might think differently of these two episodes after you finish the first season exactly so this is based on your reaction to just the first two episodes yeah and as of right now c is is where i feel the most confident Wow, see in the middle. I cannot believe I am going to come in with a solid B as the highest grade at this table. Wow. I, I really wish Austin Lucari was here because I, <laughs> I really want to know what he thinks about this series pretty badly. And I'm sure he would give it like an A++ because he just loves Tolkien fantasy. But like, I I mean, I, I'm willing to give it the benefit of the doubt. I like a lot about it. I think the things that bother me are things that have always bothered me about Tolkien's writing. And again, it's not even like a good or bad it's a preference thing i do think as i said a moment ago i really don't think tolkien's writing is nearly as accessible as peter jackson's movies have led people to believe they are and um you know this show is more like that i think there's a lot of cool things it looks amazing i had a great time i got through with episode two me and lauren my fiance who has only seen the movies is like yeah let's do more i'm like all right she's on board for more i was gonna watch late anyway she's on board for more that's a good sign i think there's a lot of promise and what's to come here is it my cup of tea? Probably not my favorite. And I do really find the, the lack of strong character development or the character development that is buried under mountains of exposition about things that seemingly have no purpose to be really tedious and annoying. That doesn't mean it's not really engaging TV. All right. So at this point, we're going to go ahead and move into a very short spoiler discussion here. And um, so if you don't want to hear any spoilers for the first two episodes, you want to go ahead and tune out now. So really, guys, here's what it comes down to. I just have two questions I want to ask. Let's just start with the fun one. Who is the stranger? This is purely speculative, right? So obviously we have at the end of the first episode, we have the stranger who arrives via a meteor that crashes in the Middle Earth. He has a beard. Uh, the the Harfoots touch it, and it's like it looks like fire, but it's not hot. And this, this dude who looks like a tall old man, I mean, obviously tall compared to the Harfoots who are hobbits, but like pretty good-sized guy. Um, I have, I mean, it seems ob- fairly obvious to me. It's probably a wizard. I don't know which one it is, but I think it's probably a wizard. Uh, Daniel Bocamper, what are you thinking about the stranger? Yeah, well, he's definitely like, <laughs> he's simultaneously, he's, he's intriguing and kind of wondrous, but also foreboding. Terrifying. Um, yeah, yeah. Really, really, really scary. Um, and I, I mean, it. <laughs> I want to believe it's a wizard too, just because he's winding up with the hobbits and he's like, you know, it kind of evokes some of those um, feelings we get, except Gandalf had more clothes. 
He also talks to bugs, insects. Yeah. When he talks to the fireflies. Yeah. Which is something Gandalf he talk, Gandalf talked to the moths to summon the eagles. What was the name of the wizard that was like specifically he was in the first Hobbit prominently? He made Oh Radagast the Brown. Yeah. He was like very, very in tune with nature and he had the like yeah. didn't he have like jackalopes or something yes. like yeah. On a sled. Um yeah, he he he's reminiscent of that character to me a little bit, just with where he is right now. But then he also seems to be like weirdly like cosmically connected with a lot of different things. And um, yeah, I want to assume he's a, a, a wizard. I don't think he's like evil, you know, I don't, I don't think that's the case, but um, he definitely seems like he knows what he's, he's got a purpose too. Cause he keeps writing those letters and like carving them into the ground. Like uh, it, yeah. obviously the Harfoots don't know what, what it says and we don't know what it says, but like he's got a thing he's trying to communicate, but he can't do it to yeah. at least to the Harfoots. Yeah. So I don't know, maybe a time traveler. Oh, a time traveler. It's all set. Uh, it's all set in the Star Wars universe. Time yes. travel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Daniel, stole any thoughts on this? Yeah, for a brief moment when I first saw it, and I, it's been a long time since I read the books, and this character does not make any appearances in the show. For a brief, like, quick second, I was like, wait, was this Tom Bombadil is what I thought for a quick second. Oh, my God. Uh, that would be crazy. But, Man, oh, my God. Tolkien heads would lose their goddamn minds. Who is Tom Bombadil? Uh, is a character from the – Tom Bombadil. The I know book. this is supposed to be abbreviated, but yeah. What was – I'm sorry. Uh, oh, oh, are you? is that a genuine question? I, was genuine. I have no idea. No, who, so, so Tom Bombadil is a character from the Fellowship of the Ring yeah. who has this insurmountable power. Yep. But he just decides to just chill in the like they discover him before they I think it's Daniel correct me if I'm wrong Daniel still correct me if I'm wrong it is before they even leave the Shire yes. they encounter like it's it, they're still within the not like the Shire town but they're within the 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 uh, not like Hobbiton uh, like sh- the Shire they're, Hobbiton. Like the they're, they're in the country of the Shire yeah. like out in the woods they encounter this guy named Tom Bombadil who is like more powerful than the wizards. He can like meld yeah. reality and change. He, he literally could stop the whole thing, but he's like, nah, yeah, my problem. he's actually a super interesting character in the books because he has basically essentially the ability to like solve the problems of middle earth, but is just like, I'm just gonna hang out here in the woods and just chill. wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Tolkien was writing the Lord of the Rings like during, it was world war two, right? Yeah. Uh y- y- yes, uh, Tom Bombadil, the Americans. Well, yeah. <laughs> Tolkien does swear up and down that the, that the Lord of the Rings was not uh, meant to be a fantasy re- re- rewrite of World War One or World War Two. Sure. However, he was very clearly influenced Inspired, by the yeah. events of his day. Yeah. Okay. So that sounds. His name's Tom. Let's. <laughs> <laughs> America. To America. Uh, so I, for a brief second, I wondered, is this gonna, is this Tom Bombadil? But I don't think that's the case. It was just a brief moment of like you evoked his name, Daniel. Yeah, wait, wait, because <laughs> I know fans have been like, are, there are fans who like hate that he is not in the in the uh, movies, in Fellowship of the like, Ring, like, they, and even the what do they want him to do? That's the thing. He doesn't it's actually serve nothing. any real yeah. purpose in the like the, the actual story. He. He's meant there to be. I think he's meant to. to is he like a real wacky? Does he have any gags? Oh, he's a little it, weird. Yeah, he's wacky. Okay. And I think, I like from a philosophical standpoint, it's interesting to have this character who, you know, has the ability to like so- save the world, but chooses not to. Like Watchmen, right? Like, but uh, Doctor Manhattan. Um, but that's besides the point. There are a lot of people who really feel like he. It's like 
a crime that he wasn't in the films, but I don't think that's the case. I think it's a, it's a very notable contra- – I mean, I'm serious. Like, it's a very big controversy. If you go look on the internet, people are just livid that Tom Bombadil was not yeah. in the Fellowship of the Ring. Yeah. Even though he serves no real function within the story. I can commiserate with the Game of Thrones fans that are upset about the Iron Lady, not – Oh, uh, Lady Stoneheart. Yeah, yeah, Lady yeah. Stoneheart. Yeah, 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 yeah. Iron Lady. Exactly. Yeah. Anyway, I digress. That's who I thought. That was the for some reason that was the first thing I thought of when he was coming down. But I don't think that's the case. I think you're probably right. It's some sort of wizard. And as far as we can t- tell, we don't have a lot of other. I mean, we haven't been introduced to any other wizards in the show. So, is this? So I'm curious. And I'm, I'm, most of my feelings around this character are just mostly like curiousness and wonderment. Is this like the first wizard or the, or, you know, bottle, that kind of thing. That's basically where I'm at with that character. So yeah, I have no idea who actually is. I, I am sure that there is someone out there who's read everything who knows exactly who this is, but uh, I have no idea. Well, when you Google him, people don't seem to have answers on like the main outlets. I will say that because okay. I've done it. Cause I was curious if I was like, I'm pretty sure I know who this is, but people aren't like writing about it. I mean, I'm not saying no one. I'm saying on like major entertainment publications like Entertainment Weekly or Vox or uh, IGN or, you know, one of those. Um, Okay. So last question I have because we are – wow, man. I remember when I thought this was going to be a short episode (laughs) the way I structured it. Um, The other thing I want to note here is here's the thing that's really compelling to me thematically. And I do think there's potential to make it very character-motivated. So, as I said at the beginning of the spoiler-free section, this show is essentially expanding the very short prologue at the Fellowship of the Ring into multiple seasons of a show. Mm -hmm. So, what I'm interested in here is the alliances being – the the deceptions and alliances that are being forged between the races – because right now they think evil is gone. Like that's the whole thing with Gladiol is she's like, I know it's out there. I can feel it. But everyone else is like, the war's over. We won. It's a prosperous time. Elrond's over here. Like, how can we make the world better? You, you know, it. but that's the thing. Uh, much like a quote related to what Martin said. I, I believe Martin said a quote about, you know, how the uh, the seeds of war are sown during uh, peacetime. This is, yeah, the Middle Earth is the best it's ever been up until this point. But in reality, we would get little nods to it, specifically with the Dwarven storyline about how they want to forge these rings of power. Uh, I assume uh, Sir Calabrimbror uh, <laughs> uh, wants to build this huge, uh, you know, he wants to build this huge tower where they can forge anything. I am pretty confident he's talking about the rings that they're mm-hmm. going to build. And... They're having to go and reach out to the dwarves to get the resources they need to do it. And the dwarves are like, ah, but we've already got a leg up they don't know about. That's the that's the very early seeds of like, ooh, okay. So it's not all happy go lucky. It's it's the that's the kind of thing I'm really curious about. The humans and the of course the we really haven't been introduced to the human, the man. Uh I mean, we we we've seen Small villages, but I'm talking about the royalty show up who clearly are going to want more power because that's what humans do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm I'm certain there's a very there's a very specific reason why there was nine men who got nine rings and there were like what was it was it four or five four to the dwarf lords I think right like, like and the elves get I think two rings like I, again I'm getting <laughs> man Tolkien fans are everywhere just like murder me Dude. but uh, like, like like you know like I think about how. Who has the most rings and why? 
And it's funny that the elves seem to be the ones motivated to build this cool thing. And then I'm sure they are going to have to sweeten the pot to get the dwarves to help them build the citadel. And then the men are going to come in with a really critical resource that that's going to justify why they get nine of them. But at the end of the day, remember, they were all deceived. See, that 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 that's the stuff I'm like, this could be really compelling or it could be really boring. I really am lean all if they want power there has to be personal motivation there yeah and that's where i'm like again when we saw with the dwarven storyline this whole they came to us for this thing but they don't know we've actually got the long end of the axe like that's the kind of thing i'm like yeah tell me that story let's mm-hmm. let's let's roll on that story get less monologuing out the history more about like how these different races distrust each other like what are the weaknesses they have that behind the scenes Sauron is secretly manipulating in order to sort of stage a, a great return. Mm-hmm. That I find personally intriguing. I hope we go there. All that said, I got on my soapbox there, guys. Um, do you guys find the sort of potential seeds that are sown here about like the, the history of where these rings come from? Do you find that compelling? And are you excited to see where they go with it? Daniel Stoll? I think what you said, it could be interesting. Um, I don't think they've shown me anything that would make me think it's interesting yet, but it could be, uh, and I hope it is, because I, I ha- despite how critical I've been, I feel like I actually still want to watch the rest of the series, or I mean the rest of the season at least. So I think that, you know, if they bring in some of those moments like like we, like you talked about where like, um, which is not something we typically get in a, from my, uh, what I remember in a Lord of the Rings story, it's like the the like you said the dwarf saying oh well we have this extra secret thing that nobody knows about like this political conniving sort of thing um if you can combine can find ways to make it meaningful on a personal level for uh some of these characters i think that could be really compelling i think that's what it's going to take for me um Maybe someone else likes that, and that's great. I'm glad that you that you like that. For me, I, I feel like I need that personal, emotional investment uh, for me to fully embrace the, sh- the show. All right. Well said, Daniel Stoll. Daniel Bokemper, bring us home here. Yeah, so I think there there is an opportunity to make it, again, a little more emotionally engaging. I, I, I want to know about the Wraiths. How they were formed because wasn't it every all nine of the yeah, the, the men, men are the ones who turn get turned into the race yes, the kings all yeah. of them and I think there might be like a tragic downfall or some kind of story embedded within that but it's so there's so many of there's nine kings like <laughs> like how are they going to tell that so and I think that might be where they go into like that talking about the future of the series more so than the season I think that might delve into yeah I wouldn't expect that. that to happen for a no, while no I I don't think we're getting even rings in this season I I, I, I doubt it yeah, yeah. um but. Yeah, and those things, if they're done right, and they're again, I, if they shift their focus, um, just agreeing with both of you, like if they they focus on the emotions and the characters, and just like get off the like, did you know this takes place in the Lord of the Rings universe? Like, if we could like get off away from that soon, and I don't mean to ever like lose that, but they already have the aesthetic, they already have the characters. I I, I we don't need the the long history anymore, um, and maybe, and I I. Maybe that's what these first two episodes, just what their their, their purpose was, was to, to, again, very long extended table setting. But um, I'm hoping we move away from that. I'm hoping we get some more emotional turmoil. I hope we continue to get 
mysteries that are genuinely intriguing. I'm hoping that, you know, the, the, the stranger is already compelling, but I'd like to see, um, a little bit more and I'd like to see things we don't expect. I love the idea of history being a little bit off. Um, and I think that's one of the driving forces behind house of the dragon for me. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, the fallibility of, of history. And I think that Lord of the Rings could play with that if they really wanted to might piss off some Tolkien heads, but I, and the estate and the estate, but I don't know. I feel like they're already taking liberties, right? Like what, why would it matter to, to not build a few more interesting stories out of this world? They don't have to decimate whatever, you know, pre-established lore you have. Um, I think they can only build the intrigue and flesh it out more. And I hope they do that. I worry that they kind of won't, but we'll see. Well, we got six more episodes this season. And I think the one thing, as we sort of wrap up the conversation, because I think we're just going to wrap up due to time. But I think we can all agree on one thing, guys. This, And that is that the Rings of Power really did us all a big, big favor. Yeah, I see you nodding, Daniel. Daniel knows what I'm talking about. And that is, they finally answered a question we have been dying to see realized on the screen so people on the internet could shut up. And that is, why didn't Gandalf just summon the eagles from the jump? They fly over Mount Doom and drop it in. Why? Because in the little prologue of the first episode, you see the eagles get lit on fire and eviscerated. It was amazing. And also, I was like, this was their way of saying, see, we know you guys are like, why aren't the eagles doing shit? And it's like, yeah, because they can't. And I remember it was so funny. It was such a Tolkien thing to do or a Tolkien fan thing to do, because I remember Daniel Stole you and I, I won't name names, but may have had a very heated discussion at some point with someone who liked Tolkien and a lot in college. And like, well, they can't. They would, the race would d- 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 annihilate them. I was like, well, then why didn't they, the, the race annihilate them at the end? Uh, so I thought they did a really great job. Within like 10 seconds, they're like, yeah, these eagles are not going to be able to drop a ring in. I don't know about you guys. I thought that was probably the most important thing that they resolved in this first episode. And in fact, in the first like 10 minutes of the first episode, people's still going to bring that up. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> yeah. I don't think, I don't know if that solved uh, the problem there. <laughs> oh, we, saw a, we saw a shitty Eagle die. Didn't know it's a giant eagle and it could several shitty eagles. Is it multiple? Was, I thought it was, it was just mu- one. It was multiple. Oh, this eagles. is you're talking okay. about the second age. The eagles of the third age, <laughs> they knew <laughs> they could fly higher. These models are built to fly. We got the shit. Down. <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, well, guys, is there anything else you'd like to add about the first two episodes of the Ring of Power before we close out today? No, I think that. Ooh, uh, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean, I think that we were. You know, a little bit critical, uh, especially after when comparing it to House of the Dragon. But I still want to say, like, I still see moment. I still see a lot of potential in this show, and I, I, it still looks, you know, great. And uh, I still, I want it to be good. Like, I, I love Lord of the Rings, and I hope that it's good. And maybe that's where some of my uh, criticism are coming from, is because I, I want this to be a good show, um, and and so I, I'm, you know, I want to be able to enjoy it, and I hope that it. Um, can find the that place for me that I can I can enjoy this. Um, so yeah, I, I hope 
to I, I plan to keep watching at least through the first season, and I hope that we can get some more development on these characters so that I can really find some character to be invested in and uh, see where their story takes me. All right, Daniel Bokemper. We I will be uh, at least a momentarily happy camper. Um, and I think we got an allusion to it. We did. We got we we saw them very briefly, but I'm talking the ants. I'm talking Treebeard as a sapling. The original I, Treebeard. Yes, I want to see some of that. Uh, I think that could be really cool. I do wish they leaned more on like animatronics for that, but they won't. They'll, they'll have very expensive CGI ants, but that's okay. That's okay. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see that. And I do think beyond that very superficial reason, um, it, it still does clearly have like potential, like it, it, it could do a lot. Um, I'm not super hopeful, but I think, I I think it could be, and I'm at least going to give it a chance Mm. at that. So. Well, I just got to say, I, I can't believe I'm the one coming out of this the most positive. And I'm not like overly positive. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm more optimistic than I'm not that this is g- going to at least be something really interesting and some compelling TV. Is it going to be the greatest thing ever? Uh, Jerry's out. Is it going to be as good as the Lord of the Rings films? I That I'm a little more skeptical about. But is it going to be cool, engaging TV that I am going to watch and maybe rewatch? Yeah, probably. We'll see. All right, ladies and gentlemen, well, that is all we have time for today. Uh, I know, gentlemen, I'm sorry. We're going to have to cut our winners and losers for the week. We are just out of time. Uh, But I do want to remind you, listeners, that if you want to help us out on this show and you enjoyed uh, our conversation on the Rings of Power episodes one and two, uh, firstly, every week we're talking about the House of the Dragon on the cast beyond the wall. And we just recapped episode three earlier this week. We're back. New episodes are usually on Wednesdays with a couple of exceptions. So tune out there if you want to hear. And we go really in-depth in each episode. Uh, so again, we hope that you'll consider subscribing to the podcast, rating and reviewing if you also watch House of the Dragon. And if you don't watch House of the Dragon and you just watch The Rings of Power and you want to support us, again, to reiterate, please leave us a rating and a review on your preferred podcast app, most specifically Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Uh, and for all other things that we do here at the Cast Beyond the Wall, you can head uh, over to our Twitter page at cast underscore beyond underscore GOT, or you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash the Cast Beyond the Wall. Daniel Bokemper, where can people keep up with you online? Oh, both worldliteraturetoday.org uh, and in print, but also, and uh, I think more frequently, the Cinematropolis. Uh, a few episodes of Cinematic Schematic there, um, and the occasional article as well. Um, or uh, at Daniel Bokemper. On uh, on Twitter, I'll usually just be retweeting whatever <laughs> it is that I'm a part of that Caleb produced. But uh, yeah, you can definitely definitely find me there. I don't produce it; you do the work. I you, just I just try to amplify right, you. Here we go. Here we go. I'm going to make a little more use of my Twitter. Any Tolkien fan who has a problem with what we just described in this episode, at Daniel Bowcamper at Twitter.com, redirect all your complaints towards me. I'll, I'll get them. I'll get to them. What have you done? Right. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, this is a very grand experiment. Are, are, are Tolkien fans worse than release the Snyder Cut fans? We're going to find out. Uh, Daniel, still, where can people uh, find and support you online? You know, I said that this episode that I think that the Lord of the Rings uh, films are better than the books. So come tell me how wrong I am. Uh, you can find me at uh, Daniel Stoll number two, three. 
All right, and I'm tweeting about all the things uh, on Twitter. C Masters Talk. That is at letter C Masters Talk. Mostly uh, film and television, sometimes video games, especially every episode of House of the Dragon right now. And I am again the managing, uh, I guess, editor and chief over at the Cinematropolis.com, where we talk about films and do film analysis. And I also host our podcast, Cinematic Schematic, which usually releases about two episodes a month. So if you like these sorts of deep dive reviews, you can find more. There, that is again the cinematropolis.com. Uh, and I just want to make a call out to Tolkien fans. This might be dangerous. We are really asking Tolkien fans to come out and represent because I feel like we needed someone on this panel to be really positive and just think this is the greatest thing since sliced bread. If you are out there and you have experience talking on podcasts or writing about things on the internet and you feel like you feel passionately that everything we have said on this podcast is wrong. Uh, related to Tolkien and related to the Rings of Power, please send me an email. Uh, you can send. Uh, you can always email castbeyondthewall at live.com. You can email me personally at cmasters91 at live.com because the chances are I want to talk to you. Again, if, I want to make sure I'm clear. I hope you need to have experience talking about things on the internet, on like a channel somewhere or writing about things. But if you, if you really want to come to defense and tell us why everything we said was wrong, I would invite that onto the show. I just need you to communicate, reach out to me. I don't know if I've just opened Pandora's box or not, but there's the invitation. I need, I need to hear from you because I'm like, I don't, uh, I need a Tolkien fan to come out who can just tell me why this is the greatest freaking thing ever. This is goading them. You're you're goading the I'm Tolkien trying heads. to give them a platform, Daniel. That's what we call it. Uh. Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning into our <laughs> special review and our reaction to the first two episodes of Lord of the Rings Ring of Power. We'll be back again next time when we go beyond the wall. Calabrimbrom, or Sir Calabrimbor. I can't even, <laughs> damn it. I can't even keep it straight. Salalalabalabombo. <laughs> there you go. Sir Calabrimbor, right? Is that Daniel, Daniel, Daniel Bokenberg? I got that right. Sarah Bimbor? Sarah Bimbor? Sir Calabrimbor. Is that? Celeb- I don't <laughs> I I cannot help you in this situation. And uh, I, I like the character. I, I know. I know. I actually like him. Oh my gosh.